Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Out of the comfort zone. Look at someone next to you and say, this guy might make you mad today. Um, it's possible. It's probably, it's probable. Uh, and if I don't, then there's something wrong with the message because the whole point of this message in this series, in fact, is to just shake us up a little bit, challenge us to take that momentum that we had from Easter. Isn't it a great feeling at Easter to look around and the building is full of people and uh, we had overflow in all of our services and, and, and you know, people showing up, they can't get in. That's a great feeling, but the reason that there's so much excitement over that is because of the resurrection. People are reminded of what the resurrection means and the church that Jesus died for. So I want to live for the church that Jesus died for. That's my point in life. I want to make sure that I'm living every single day. Is anyone alive today at the first service? If you are, let's clap. I want to live for the church that Jesus died for. So we got a lot of great things coming up that you just saw about, uh, saw some of the commercials for. I'm excited about social week. It's going on right now for the next week. Make sure you go to seawell.tv. Get connected uh, with our church. Any opportunity you have to meet human beings and to connect with other Christians, uh, engage, fully engage. This is a time to re-engage with people. Uh, today, is there anyone kind of excited about baptisms? I know that I'm excited about baptisms. If you're here today and you're wondering, should I get baptized? Uh, if you have made a recent commitment to Jesus and you're turning your life around, the answer to that is absolutely yes. And if you're saying, well, you know, if, like if you're a guy and you're here today and you're like, when I was, you know, I've been baptized. I say, well, what does that look like? You know, that, if you say, well, I was, you know, six months old and I was wearing a dress and somebody spot, splashed water in my face. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the biblical New Testament model of baptism where it represents the new life you have in Jesus. If you've never done that, uh, it's really important, and I encourage you to do that today. Also, one more quick thing. I meet people a lot of times uh, at events and things like that that are saying, hey, you know, I really want to get involved in this. I really want to get involved in that, and I want to do this. Well, it's really important to know that at City of Life, growth track is the fast track to understanding how to get involved and move to the next level at City of Life. I really encourage you. Growth track is fantastic. We're constantly updating it, making it interesting, compelling, engaging for you to know how to be involved with our dream team, how to use your gifts and abilities to connect with our church long-term. So make sure that you really go through growth track. You will absolutely love it. It is a fun process. And I'm going to get right into my message. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. I'm using the message version. I love the message. Sometimes if you hear me use the message version, uh, it's because maybe in that particular scripture, I want a version that's very easy to understand and to hear more in contemporary language. A lot of times when I'm diving deeper into word studies, I'll use the ESV. Uh, but so, so you can kind of know when I'm flipping gears between things, between what, is he just trying to make, say something where we can get it? Well, that's what I'm doing right here with this, uh, the message. It says this, God is building a home. Can I get an amen? He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here, in what he is building. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you. Look at someone next to you. Say, he's using you even in that shirt you're wearing. Tell him, say, he's using you even in that shirt you're wearing. He's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, 
a holy temple. Someone say a holy temple. Come on, somebody say, this place is a holy temple. Now put your hand on your heart and say, this place is a holy temple. All of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. I'm going to talk to you today, part one of our series, Out of the Comfort Zone. Father, thank you for your goodness and your presence for every person that's here today. Holy Spirit, thank you that just when I came into this place, just we could sense your presence all around us. There's an atmosphere for the supernatural right now, God. Lord, if someone needs a miracle in this room and they have the faith to reach out and take it, God, I agree with them and I join my faith with them right now for healing in people's bodies, healings and finances, for miracles and marriage, God, for anything that people need. Lord, promotion, favor, opportunities, let it happen right now by the power of the Holy Spirit, God. And let this word encourage us and lift us up and empower us to live the life that you've called us to live and to be the Christian church that you have called us to be in Jesus' name. And everybody said, come on, everybody said, all right. We have this problem uh, in, in our world right now that has kind of bled over into the Christian world, and it is the idea of consumerism. And consumerism is the way our culture is built right now. It's built around our personal preferences. We like the things the way we like it, how we like it, when we want it, and we typically want it immediately, right? I heard someone in a fast food place the other day scream at someone. They said, I have been waiting on my fries for four minutes. <laughs> Can you imagine like, like making those yourself, how long it would take? But I've been waiting on my fries for four. That's kind of where we are in our world right now, the anger that someone could get for waiting on fries for four minutes. Our playlists in life completely reflect what we like and what we have a preference for. If we click on an ad we don't like, then we are encouraged that we will not have to see other ads that are similar to that. You pretty much customize your profile in everything you do in the modern world that we live in. As a matter of fact, I downloaded TikTok the other day. I have kids. If you have kids, you, you, you have to have some TikTok going on in your house. You got so I'm, 40, I'm 48 years old. I mean, I don't know much about TikTok. So I've, I've heard about it, and they show me stuff, and I laugh at it, and it's funny. So I download it, and when it comes up, I mean, all my kids are on TikTok. And almost every person I know below 30 is on TikTok. So when, I, when it comes up, I'm like, oh, my Lord. And I, like I'm sitting there, look at this stuff that's coming up on here, like just na like nasty. It's just like, oh, I just cannot believe it. And they're like, oh, you have to click on that that you don't like it. I was like, I have to see all the things I don't like to find out what I do like? How come I can't just see things that I like and click with that, what I like? But see, the idea in our world right now is you have different ways of customizing your preferences in life to build this perfect dream life. See, everyone's going for the dream life. And I'm worried that we've bought into this mentality in the church world. Uh, something we can design based on our own preferences. I remember the, fir I remember the first time years ago that I was uh, using Apple Music and they kind of came up with this idea of genius playlists. You guys remember this? This is a long time ago. But genius playlists, what it would do is if you click this button on the genius playlist, it would take algorithms and analyze the type of music that you listen to regularly 
and it would find other songs that people who like the song that you like, like that other song, and it would build kind of suggested playlists based on those genius algorithm, algorithms. And it's just another example of how consumerism drives us in everything we do. And if we're not careful, it will start driving us in the church world and with our faith. Consumerism is perpetual dissatisfaction. What it is, is you go one place and you don't like what they do. Well, I'll never go back there. I'll go here. And if we don't like this, we check this box. If we're offended by something, we highlight it. With the high number of people attending church online today, by the way, welcome everyone that is watching online, all of our City of Life families that connect on a regular basis online. But I think for those that are watching online, this is a, a big temptation as well. You have to be really careful because every aspect of what you want when you're watching online, including screen size, including the volume, including how interesting that is, you can literally minimize what's going on and put it in the corner and be playing... What's that one game called that I can't stand? What's that that everyone always used to invite me to play? No, the, with the, the crystals or something? Or? Oh, Candy Crush. Oh, gosh. <laughs> you could be playing Candy Crush right now. And you're just minimizing the preaching over in one set. It just becomes more and more challenging for us to be true to who we are as Christian believers and to not try to customize it. Online church is really important. It's really important for the future of the church, especially in the state of our world. If we didn't have it last year, a year ago from now, none of us would be having church because we had to attend online. And it's, it's vital and it's important, but not without human connectivity, not without accountability. That's the importance of meeting together is the accountability that we have when we're here. A purely consumeristic approach loses sight of the fact that a local church is described in the Bible as a family. A local church is described in the Bible as a body. Families have members. Raise your hand in here if your family is perfect. And I'm going to ask you to come teach a, a seminar on family. Because I don't know of any family that's perfect. Families are messed up. Why? Because they got people in them and people are messed up. And I got news for you. No body is perfect. You may see somebody who you go, oh, that's the perfect body. Well, no one has a perfect body. Everyone is figuring out ways to stay healthy or to be healthy or to get healthy if they look healthy. And the bottom line is not just being healthy. It's staying healthy. And what does that take? It takes maintenance. It takes work you got to really work hard to stay healthy. So even a body, what the Bible describes the church as, is not perfect. A body is not perfect. It's got members, and they have to function together to stay healthy. So with that idea in mind, if, if you look, and I think here's another thing, too. I think rather than considering ourselves fit in this body that God has called us to fit into, and the way he describes it is we might be a body part. Uh, the way he describes it as a family, you might be a specific member of that family. But I think the mentality we have is we see a body part we like on something else that's a different body, that belongs to a different body. And then we try to attach that to our body. And I got news for you. If you like someone's hand, you can't cut it off and stick it on your arm and make it your hand. I think that's why a lot of churches look more like Frankenstein than they do Jesus. We're called to work with what we've got. Can I get an amen? amen? I will never have the genes of Arnold Schwarzenegger. 
I just won't. Plus, I eat too many Oreos. It's just not possible. I just can't quit. Uh, now, I eat less now than I did before. By the way, this is my first medium shirt in a long time. You know what I discovered? Can I tell you what I discovered about the naming of clothes? Because I've had to give away a lot of older clothes that I had. I started noticing in my closet the, the, the names of, of sizes. Who, who named these things? There, was, there had to be like a meeting. You know what I mean? Because this is medium, and I mean medium means in the middle, right? So you got small, you've got large, you've got medium, then you've got large. Did they run out of adjectives after large? Is it like extra large? You know what I'm saying? And then you go to extra, extra. I mean, I gave away a lot of extra, extra large. For me, it should have been small, medium, large. Put down the Oreos, Jeff. <laughs> and then after that, the ones I gave, it just should, it just should have said, really? You know, for me, because I gave a lot, of, a lot of those as well. So how in the world? I'm trying to preach the gospel. What am I talking about here? Oh, I'm talking about Frankenstein, cutting off body parts, trying to attach it to your body. And what happens is they're trying to lop off something that belongs to someone else and attach it to themselves. Now, guys, I can't wait. This is the last week of editing for Southern Gospel. Uh, I, I, this has been a crazy process. And for those of you that are wondering, like, what are you doing every single day? I am spending the day, you know, like, by the way, we have, I think, 147 visual effects in the movie. It's not like Avengers or something, but almost every scene, we've got sky replacement going on. You're taking out towers that are in the back, adding something that looks like Birmingham, replacing a, side, a sign on the side of a car, uh, you know, having blood stream down someone's lip and making it look like they're taking it off. Just so many things that you can't imagine. And the company I'm working with is doing more visual effects in this film than they've ever done in any film, and they've done some major movies. And then right now we're doing the sound mixing, all these different things. So I cannot wait. It's going to be really soon where you get an opportunity to see it. But in the movie, not trying to give anything away, but my dad's goal in the movie, my dad and mom are trying to build their dream church. Something that God has put in their heart. It's the dream that God has put in their heart and the kind of organization that they grew up in. There wasn't a church like City of Life that allowed you to just walk in no matter who you are and belong. You could belong before you, you could believe. And in the old days, you had to believe before you belonged. And so they just wanted a place where no matter who you are, what you look like, you could come in and walk in the door and find the hope of Jesus in that place, no matter what your past looked like. So to them, that was their dream church. But I think in a way, we all have a dream church. And we have this idea of what our dream church would look like. And you've actually probably thought about it yourself. We literally want a dream church. And, you know, for me, my dream church... There would be free Oreos when you come in the front door. They would have a plate. Now, by the way, don't ever, don't ever, if you think that you're going to do something nice for me because you know I like Oreos and you bring me an Oreo that's not a double stuff, I will throw it at you. Okay. I want double stuff. Double stuff is the only way to eat Oreos properly. Okay, so, so for me, there would be double stuff Oreos when you walk in the door. For me, there would be prayer, pre-service prayer meetings on Sunday morning for people that before and after each service, that, you know, you, you walk in, people are spiritual. There'd be education and outreach. I, we have that here at our church, and I I'm, I'm, I'm love that. I think that's perfect. There'd be great assimilation that right when you walk in the door, people coming up to you, they're trying to get you connected with things, visitor information, membership classes, 
um, you know, you, you'd be led to a specific room, maybe even after the service. You know, I would be able to walk in and talk to big groups of people, and all of our pastoral staff would be so welcoming to everyone. There would be a football and faith small group where you get to sit down and talk about how football changes the world for Jesus. Um, and, and you talk about your favorite teams. There would be a music and arts uh, ministry that would be huge, huge ministries of the church with weekend, you know, and, and weeknight uh, nights where you get together and you're singing and you're worshiping and you're pressing uh, into the presence of God, public arts, community events, uh, lobby, you know, art in the lobby. I love paintings and I love, you know, expressiveness and I love art and culture. When you walk in, there'd be paintings all over the place, people expressing their art toward the Lord. It doesn't always have to be a cross or, you know, Mary or Jesus or something. It could just be expressions of beauty and life. These are things that I love. Uh, in, in my dream church, there would be a divine diversity class where you get to talk about how beautiful it is to incorporate all kinds of people, no matter who they are, what they look like into the faith. There would be a mercy and justice class, a way for us to have compassion on all people. There would be a spirit in soul, which would be how to find godly inspiration while listening to the music of Brian McKnight. And that would be a really powerful uh, class. You'd get everyone to come in together and you'd have to listen to the track first and talk about uh, what you could find from it. There would be uh, communications. There would be community care. There would be uh, Inklings 2.0, which is like a writer's workshop for everyone that's a writer. I'm a writer. There would be a taste and see ministry for foodies to explore the local restaurant scene in the Holy Spirit. Uh, there would be, you know, some kind of cool, you know, workout thing like a CrossFit, uh, you know, place on property where you get, to get together and people are working out. There would be an Augustine society where a, a reading group focuses on, you know, the, the church fathers and historical theology. Uh, there would be a, a Tiffany Society where we go around and explore the art of Central Florida and, 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 and that particular scene. There would be a Nolan Society where we get together and talk about films. They don't have to be Christopher Nolan films, but I would prefer that. We talk about great films. There would be a Tennyson Society where we get together and talk about poetry and the power of poetry. Are you following me like what my perfect church would look like? You, you might be noticing that some of the things I'm mentioning you're just not that interested in because that's not your perfect church. I got a question for you. What does that stuff that I just mentioned have to do with the blood that Jesus shed on the cross so I could live free and redeemed from the clutches of sin and death? Not really a lot. You know, consumerism in the church is toxic. And if you're trying to build the perfect church based on your personal preferences and you're not basing it on whether or not the word of God about the power of Jesus Christ and the resurrection because of his blood... The redemption that we have because of his blood, if you're not hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus on a weekly basis, that no matter who you are or where you come from, you can be redeemed and live a brand new life in Christ. If you're not hearing the kingdom of God preached around you, that's what we have to build our lives around. Consumerism is toxic. It'll destroy us from the inside out. And the grass is always greener at the newest church in town until you realize that you go there and it's actually not greener. Uh, the mentality has crept into our Christian views of marriage as well. People start looking at their spouse and they go, well, man, she didn't have what she has. I like what she has. And then they check that box. If she don't have what she has, I'm gonna, I like what she has. And they check that box. And you know what happens is you go trade the glitch that you have found in your spouse for someone that you think has no glitch. And what you do is you convince yourself for two or three years that you found the perfect person until their glitch is revealed. Now you got to deal with a new glitch. Why not just fix the glitch that you got in your own life and in your own heart with the family that God gave you and learn how to be...
See, this mentality, it, it seeps in every area. God forbid that it seeps into the church. Church has to be about knowing God more. That's what church has to be. That's why we're bringing our notebooks. That's why we're coming ready to be engaged, ready for God to challenge us. You say, well, I've heard this before. I don't care if a child is standing up here. If they are stating the word of God correctly, you need to be saying amen. That is good. That is powerful. I don't care if someone is walking up here with anxiety and they're shaking and their hand is shaking. They don't say anything funny. They don't say anything that, you, that would be on television. If they're saying the word of God correctly, that should challenge you and that should challenge me. We can't build our lives on Christian personalities. We can't build our lives on communicators that could either be on Comedy Central or a TED Talk or on television. I'm telling you, the disciples were not like that. What were they? They were people that were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit like you and me. And that is what makes the difference in our lives. We have to know that our lives are built around truth. People are desperate for truth. God doesn't disqualify people just because they're not spectacular. He's looking for people that are hungry and willing to just obey. That's the kind of church that I want. That is really more of a dream church for me than a lot of the other things that I mentioned. A church where as we're involved, I would rather God, someone look at someone that is on the stage and go, really, God can use that person? That's amazing. I, I just didn't think it, that God could do that. And maybe that inspires someone like that to go, man, if, if God can use them, God can use me. I, I don't want to build my life on things that are so extraordinary that, oh, we have to have this worship leader. We have to have this preacher. We have to have. No, the power of the Holy Spirit can transform ordinary into supernatural instantly if you let him. That's the kind of church that I believe God died for. And I, honestly, I believe there's a lot of great local pastors around the world whose churches are empty and, and they shouldn't be. I think people should be there. You shouldn't trade in a faithful local pastor for something that's flashy and big. That's really not, it, I think that's an old model. You say, well, you know, your church has got some stuff going on. You got screens all over the place. What if that means you lose some people because they go to a local faithful? Then I think that'd be positive. If, if, if God sent someone to a place of someone that is faithful to preach the word the way that he has called them to preach them, that is how the church ultimately, with the big C, the body of Christ, is going to grow. When start, people start being faithful to where God has placed them. Can I get an amen from someone here today? You're saying, what is he talking about? I'm just trying to talk about the truth here today. Church has to be about knowing God and meeting him where he is, not having everything handed to me on a silver platter. I'm just going to say it again because I'm trying to make you mad. I don't know if it's working. Church has to be about knowing God and meeting him where he is, not having everything handed to me each week on a silver platter with everything I like in a way that makes me comfortable. That's a playlist, not a place of worship. C.S. Lewis said, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I've always known that a bottle of wine could do that. If you want a religion to make you feel comfortable, I don't recommend Christianity. That's what he said. He said, if you want a religion to make you comfortable, I don't recommend Christianity. So if you're sitting here each week comfortable, something is wrong with what's happening. You have to be shaken up on a regular basis. If you know the right Jesus, he is always going to be challenging you. He is always going to make you go, ugh, kind of grit your teeth a little bit. It's always going to push you. That's why when you really read Ephesians 2.19, which was my text, he says, God is building a home. 
He's using us all, irrespective of how we got there, in what he is building, in what who is building. Come on, in what who is building. So let's start out at the beginning. What's the first word there? God is building a home. I'm not building this place. Even you're not building this place. You're inviting people, bringing people. We're, I'm not building it. God is building it. It's his house. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here, in what he is building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he is using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone. It doesn't feel good sometimes to just think I'm just a brick, but I am. God needs bricks and stones, faithful people that he can build his church on, who will fit in place. And you know what? Bricks don't move. Stones don't move. He places them in a spot, and he puts some stuff around them to keep them there, and he says, now I can move on to the next thing that I'm building because I've got someone that is faithful here that I have set in this place the way I want them there, and now I can keep working on what I'm building on. And he says, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone, that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God. All of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. So we see that God is the one that is building this church. I love this. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, 18 says, as it is, we see that God has carefully placed each part of the body right where he wanted it. Look at someone next to you say, you're where God wanted you to be. I don't know how you got here. You may have got here in a way that's not right. You may have left some other church and said, I don't like the way they do things. I'm going to go find me a good, oh, yeah, I like this city of life church. They got it all going on. Well, you're crazy, first of all. We ain't got it all going on. We got some things that we're doing right in the, over the years that we've worked on, but stick around. If you're looking for something to get mad at, stick around. You'll find something wrong. You'll find something that ain't working right because that's not what church is all about. Church, I'm trying to teach you right here biblically what the Bible says church is all about. What Bible, the Bible says church is all about is that God has placed the members in the body as it pleases him. Not as it pleases you, but as it pleases him. And, and sometimes, you know what it feels like? The same kind of feeling of when you're sitting at Thanksgiving with your wacky uncle that's giving big political speeches to everyone, and, and you're just cringing, and you're going, why did God place me in this family? <laughs> that's how you feel sometimes in the body that God has placed you in, is you go, why? And what is the answer? Because he wants to build something in you. Because when we get out of our comfort zone, when we're over here in our comfort zone, I don't even know if this kicks back. Oh boy, oh boy. This is how I got those extra larges and extra, extra larges. So when we're over here in our comfort zone, we, we just, you know, every once in a while, yeah, that's good, that's good. Yeah, I like that. I like that. See, and, and when, it's, when it's easy for us in our comfort zone, but what we don't want to do, oh, I don't even like looking at this thing. <laughs> I don't even know if this thing works. Should I try 12 miles per hour? Oh, Father. <laughs> okay, let's see. How, how high can we get here?
Uh, now I'm getting uncomfortable. <laughs> See, this is the place that God has actually called me to live. I don't like bringing my notebook to church. I don't like opening my notes program. I don't like walking out in the parking lot and finding someone intentionally that I can meet and talk to and encourage and ask their story. How did you get here to City of Life? Tell me your story. And then I don't like after that saying, hey, you guys want to go grab your family? You want to go grab lunch next week together? I'd, I'd love to get to know you better. I don't like going to col.tv after the service is over and finding out about our small group ministry. When I've got plans tonight, oh, really, what are your plans? Actually, nothing, but I just said I had plans. <laughs> I don't like going to our small group ministry to because well, I gonna have to meet people, and I get anxiety when I think about meeting people. And, and, I, and, and anxiety is a reason to cancel everything in life because, you know, if you feel bad about anything, just don't do it. Anyone follow me here today? Our, our comfort zone is a place where we're never challenged. It's a place where nothing can ever grow in us. I just burned, actually I burned four calories right there. That's pretty impressive. You know what that means, right? I can have an Oreo. That's right. That's great. A very small, <laughs> very small Oreo. <laughs> no double stuff on that one. I'll just cut it in a piece there. But God has placed us in the body because he wants to make us uncomfortable. Why? Because he wants to build endurance. He wants to build strength in our life. He wants to build character. And we can really only grow when we're facing adversity. He put us there. We grow when we're outside our comfort zones. Think about working out. Think about how hard it is to work out. How, how, much, how much your muscles hurt and ache the day after you work out. You can barely lift your arm. We're more effective when we're on the edge of risk. I don't know if there's any basketball fans here, but does anyone remember the NBA Finals where the Bulls were tied with the Utah Jazz 2-2 and Michael Jordan came in that night with the flu? He had the flu. He had a temperature of like 103 degrees, and they thought he wasn't going to play. What did he do? Did he quit? He was facing more adversity than you can imagine. No. With the drive that he had, he actually scored 38 points, seven rebounds, five assists, and three steals, and a block. And he had a game-tying three-pointer with less than a minute. Actually, it, was, it put them ahead by one with less than a minute left, and they won the game by two points. And they never lost the lead of the series after that. He stepped up and elevated when something was on the line. If you don't feel like you're being pushed and something is on the line and you're being challenged, let God challenge you. You say, well, the, this church is just not challenging me. No, are you challenging yourself in the church that God put you in? Are you challenging yourself? When's the last time that on the message that you've heard the scripture 40,000 times, or I've heard these principles from these songs so many times, that they in one ear, out the, when's the last time you looked it up, looked up the lyrics, and you went and found the scripture that that song was based on, and you made that your morning devotion the next day. And you said, God, I'm gonna read this scripture and find out what this is all about, so the next time I'm in my church and we sing that song, I'm gonna know what it means. I'll be able to engage with heaven even more than I ever have before. Anyone, come on, if we're gonna clap, let's clap here today. We hold things more dearly and pursue goals more passionately when they're accompanied by a personal cost. Did you know one time I met a young songwriter that I was so impressed with their songwriting skills 
that I, one of the first things I did as a recording artist when I made a good chunk of money in my early 20s is I bought my dream guitar. And my dream guitar was a Tobacco Sunburst Taylor 814 CE. And it was, I think at the time, it was like a $3,800 guitar or something. But I, t- I mean, it was a very expensive guitar for me. But I bought my dream guitar, absolutely loved that guitar. I met a young worship leader not even from this country, and I was so impressed. I used that guitar on all my records. And by the way, I love guitars. I just buy, I, I buy, I mean, I just think guitars are just the most wonderful thing in the world. Just, and I've got all kinds of different guitars for everything, you know, for blues, for rock, uh, just anything you can imagine. I'll figure out a reason to get that guitar. But this particular guitar was my, like, it was sort of my workhorse guitar. I wrote a ton of songs on it, used it a lot in the studio. And I saw this guy's heart for God, young guy. So you know what I did? I just felt compelled. I felt the Lord tell me, he's, give him your Taylor 814 CE tobacco sunburst. Give it to him. And, and, and I gave it to him. I said, you're going to write some incredible songs on this guitar. I said, I believe that God is going to use this. As, as it, and you know, it actually cost me something. I paid for it. I paid for it. I had money that I spent and earned that guitar. So you know what? I saw him a year later at an event and he would not come over where I was. I, I kept trying to talk to him and like he would go from one place to another. I was like, what in the world is going on? Does he, does he recognize me? Uh, and so I finally got over and, and went to talk to him. I said, hey man, I haven't seen you in a while. I said, how are you doing? He goes, good, good, good. I said, how are the, how's the songwriting going? Why? Because I've got something invested in that, right? I said, how's the songwriting going? And he goes, yeah, uh, I went on a missions trip to the Philippines. He goes, and I took that guitar with me. So I mean, the first thing that I thought to myself is, why would you take that guitar on a missions trip of all the things that you could do? I know I've seen his guitar collection, got tons of guitars, beat up guitar. So I'm just thinking, what's going on? So he takes this guitar on a missions trip, sees a guy on the street who is homeless and he gives, he feels like he's supposed to give the guitar to this homeless guy. So he gives the guitar to a homeless guy and then finds out that it wasn't a homeless guy. He was a drug dealer that was very wealthy in town who sold the guitar the next day. So he didn't, he hated admitting to me that he took this guitar that cost him nothing and just gave it away randomly. Why would you give away something randomly? Because it didn't cost you anything. But you're not gonna give something away randomly if it costs you something. You're gonna take pride in that particular thing. And see, when you have something invested in the kingdom, and when you've fought and you've worked and you've bled and you've shed tears and you've shed time and you've taken your personal time and your family time to pour into something, it has value to you. You're not gonna talk down about it. You're not gonna look down at it, but you're gonna say, I am a part of this and God has set me in this place. And that's why Christians ought to embrace rather than avoid the necessity of grounding their faith in a local church, however uncomfortable, however frustrating, however awkward it may be. Churches have to embrace rather than avoid the uncomfortable aspects of being a Christian in general if we're ever gonna thrive in the 21st century. Matthew 10, 34 says, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. 
Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. That may be surprising to you because his name is the Prince of Peace. But what you're doing is you're misunderstanding the way that he's going to bring about peace. He says, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. By the way, Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. So what he's saying is I'm bringing this sword called the word, and my name is the word, by the way. And he says, listen, there's something you're not gonna like. I have come to turn a man against his father. What? A daughter against her mother. Huh? A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Huh? A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life will find it. See, zero amens during this. Why? This is, this is what makes us uncomfortable. This is the gospel. What does he mean? We'll go into detail about what he means in the next couple of weeks. I'm gonna talk about, for the next three weeks, hard to live, hard to give, and hard to love. And I'm gonna talk about getting out of your comfort zone, how difficult it is to take these words, to know that Jesus did not come to bring peace, but to stir us up. And what does that mean? It means that there's gonna be so many people that when you come home and go, hey dad, I went to church, I gave my heart to Jesus. My life is different now. You went to what? That turns a family against each other. A brother against sister, mother against daughter, family against family. What it's saying is they're carrying your cross and living for Jesus is not supposed to be a place of comfort. It's supposed to be a place of discomfort. We've got to learn how to lean into that. You say, well, I don't like what you just read me. Well, let me introduce you to Jesus. I'm excited about the next couple weeks, and I'm excited about what God can do in this church right here in Kissimmee, St. Cloud. Um, those of you that are watching, no matter where you are, I'm excited to see what God can do through the lives of people who are willing to stick it out and commit to the long-term process of just being who God has called us to be. Even if that shakes us up, it's so worth it to stick in there and hang in there to see what happens when God places you in a body. You become the family member that he destined for you to be. You stick it out in the good times and the bad, and you watch what God will end up doing with you and your family. Join us for the rest of this incredible series. I believe it is going to be life-changing over the next couple of weeks. I believe that you're going to get fired up. I believe you're going to get empowered to step out and step in to the calling that he has for your life family's life. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus personally, right before these baptisms, I want to give everyone an opportunity to know Jesus. If you're watching online, this is for you as well. Could you bow your heads and close your eyes? If you're here today and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity right now to say, I need Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I've tried to be a good person. I've tried to say to myself that I'm a good person, that I'll be fine. I'll make it to heaven. You can't make it to heaven based on your own merit can only do it in God's system. And in God's system, if you break one law, if you, if you commit one sin, the Bible says you've committed them all. So there's really no way to get there on our own merit. 
person that could do that is Jesus. So the only way we can please God is by asking Jesus to forgive us our sins and become the Lord of our lives. Then God the Father no longer sees our sins, but he sees the righteousness of Jesus that covers every aspect of our lives. If you need Jesus to become your Lord and Savior today, whether you're watching online or you're in this room, when I count to three, I'm gonna ask you to lift your hand. If you're watching online, click that button that says, I'm lifting my hand, or type in the chat room, I'm lifting my hand, or I need Jesus. If you're in this room, I'm gonna ask you to lift your hand over your head on three. One, the Bible says, now is the time of salvation. Two, I believe Jesus died so that we could live. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. I believe that's going to happen here today. Three, hands up all over the room if that's you. Hands going up in every single section, all over this building, people lifting their hands, reaching out for Jesus. Thank you, God. I'm going to ask you to repeat this with me right now out loud. Say, I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of my sins. I'm turning away from the old life walking into a brand new life with you, Lord Jesus. I will never be the same. Even if I'm uncomfortable, I want to keep on this journey of following you and knowing you. Holy Spirit, empower me to live the life that I'm not capable of living for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.